In the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit, one God, amen. God willing, today we're going to continue studying in the book of Genesis, starting in chapter 42. Uh, just as a quick recap from last time, uh, we had looked at Genesis 40 and 41. Uh, in chapter 40, uh, we spoke about um, Joseph after he had been sent to prison from Potiphar's house after he was falsely accused by Potiphar's wife. And he was in prison. Um, and two of the prisoners who were with him in prison, both the baker and the, uh, the cupbearer, uh, they were uh, there in the prison, um, sent there by Pharaoh. They both had dreams, um, and uh, Joseph interpreted their dream for them. Uh, however, uh, he remained in prison after that. And then um, in chapter 41, uh, we read about how Pharaoh himself had a dream and Joseph interpreted the dream and he got out of prison and then uh, Pharaoh appointed him to be the head of uh, all of the kind of the second in command in Egypt um, so that he could implement his system of how to uh, keep the world from starving due to the famine that was going to come based on the dream that Pharaoh had received. So. We're now at the point where uh, Joseph is, has this position, uh, and we're going to see now uh, what happens. So we start in uh, 42 verse 1. It says, when Jacob saw that there was grain in Egypt, Jacob said to his sons, why do you look at one another? So remember, the whole world um, was suffering from famine, right? After the first seven years of plenty, where Joseph was storing up, and then now began the seven years of famine, where not just Egypt, but all of the surrounding countries as well, were suffering from famine. So here, Jacob and his sons, um, still in Canaan, are suffering from the famine as well. And he's saying, why do you look at one another? Like, why are you confused about what to do? We need to send someone to go to Egypt to be able to bring grain from there. Of course, at this time, they, they believe Joseph is dead. Um, or that he is still living as a slave. They don't know anything that happened to him. Of course, Jacob believed from the beginning that he had died and been mauled by an animal. His brothers knew that they sold him into slavery, but they had no concept or idea of what happened to him um, after that. Remember, uh, as we talk about this, that we spoke about how Joseph is um, a type of Christ, he is a symbol of the Messiah, and that the Messiah came to save the world. And here, jo Joseph, through his action, is, is saving the world, right? Here, Jacob and his sons, they were not able to save themselves. So they looked for someone who was higher, someone who is, is, is bigger than them, just as we are called to, to look to Christ, who is who's going to feed us spiritually. And he said, indeed, I have heard that there is grain in Egypt. Go down to that place and buy for us there that we may live and not die. So Joseph's 10 brothers went down to buy grain in Egypt. But Jacob did not send Joseph's brothers Benjamin with his brothers, for he said, lest some calamity befall him. And the sons of Israel went to buy grain among those who journeyed, for the famine was in the land of Canaan. So um, uh, Jacob, you know, his two favorite sons were Joseph and Benjamin. Do you remember why that is? Why Joseph and Benjamin? They were born from Rachel, who was his favorite wife, right? Um, and Rachel had died. So Joseph and Benjamin, they were the youngest and they were his most favorite. Uh, just out of old age, yeah. Um, 
so so Joseph already was gone, of course, and Jacob mourned for him a lot. And so he is wanting to hold on to Benjamin. He's not, he's very protective of him. He doesn't want anything else to happen to him. So he tells the, all of his sons go to find grain in Egypt for us, but Benjamin will stay here. Okay, he will not go with you. Now Joseph was governor over the land, and it was he who sold to all the people of the land. And Joseph's brothers came and bowed down before him with their faces to the earth. And Joseph saw his brothers and recognized them, but he acted as a stranger to them and spoke roughly to them. Then he said to them, where do you come from? And they said, from the land of Canaan to buy food. This, of course, is a shock. And if you imagine something like this happening, that your own family disowns you, throws you into a well, sells you as a slave, doesn't care about you at all. And that Joseph, many, many years later, he sees his brothers again, right? And so, of course, he's very moved and very emotional and shocked to see them. Um, but one of the things that we're going to see in the life of Joseph is how compassionate and kind and forgiving he is in the way that he deals with his brothers out of mercy, not because they did anything good for him, but because the, the spirit of God was in Joseph and that he was a righteous man. And, and that he was going to serve them and treat them with mercy. Again, uh, a symbol of the Messiah, right? That the Messiah forgives us our sins. We do not deserve forgiveness. We do not deserve his mercy. We haven't done anything for, to deserve his mercy. And yet he is merciful in himself and shows mercy upon us. So here, Joseph has a plan uh, of what he's going to do. He doesn't want to reveal right away who he is to his brothers, right? So he's speaking to them as strangers, right? He says, where do you come from? So Joseph recognized his brothers, but they did not recognize him, okay? Um, then Joseph remembered the dreams which he had dreamed about them and said to them, you are spies. You have come to see the nakedness of the land. So what's the relevance of saying here that he remembered the dream? What does the dream have to do with it? They were all bound down. Right, so way, way back at the beginning, when Joseph was still a child, right, he had these dreams where essentially his brothers were bowing down to him, right? And he, that's one of the dreams that he told them at the time, and they, they hated him for it. They were jealous of him because of these dreams that he was having. Um, and so here is a fulfillment, right? It was prophecy. Here's the fulfillment of that prophecy that now they are bowing down before him. So again, he, he, he's going to test them. He's going to do a test for them to try to understand um, how they have changed, if they have changed, and how they're going to react to this test that he is going to give them. So instead of just treating them like normal people coming to buy food, he is accusing them of being spies, right? The, the reason they're coming is not because they want to buy food, it's because they want to see the land, they want to spy it out, they're going to plan some kind of attack, you know, later on. And he didn't want to, you know, he did not want them to recognize him yet. But he did want to hear news about his father, about his younger brother, Benjamin, who was not with them, right? And he wanted to see, you know, what he could learn from the situation. And they said to him, no, my Lord, but your servants have come to buy food. We are all one man's sons. We are honest men. Your servants are not spies. They're saying we're all brothers. We're coming to buy food. We are not spies. We're not doing anything wrong. But he said to them, no but you have come to see the nakedness of the land. And they said, your servants are 12 brothers, the sons of one man in the land of Canaan. And in fact, the youngest is with our father today 
and one is no more. The one that is no more, obviously, is Joseph himself, that they believe he has, you know, he's died or something's happened to him. But Joseph said to them, it is as I spoke to you, saying, you are spies. In this manner, you shall be tested. By the life of Pharaoh, you shall not leave this place unless your youngest brother comes here. So he's trying to, he wants to see Benjamin, right? He wants to see Benjamin. Benjamin was innocent. He, he did not play any part at all in what happened to him. He did not, um, he was not present when uh, they threw him into the well. Benjamin didn't know what happened to him, just like, just like his father didn't know. He's asking, bring Benjamin here. Send one of you and let him bring your brother and you shall be kept in prison that your words may be tested to see whether there is any truth in you or else by the life of Pharaoh, surely you are spies. So he wants to test out their story. They told him that we have another brother whose name is uh, or Benjamin. And so he says, go, go fetch Benjamin. You can all return, take the food that I give you, go get Benjamin, bring him here. And one of you will remain kind of like as collateral, right? To prove that you are going to come back again because I'm going to keep you one here kind of as prisoner. So he put them all together in prison three days. Then Joseph said to them the third day, do this and live for I fear God. Okay. Um, so, so, you know, here Joseph is, is again, he's treating them harshly. He's making them afraid. He's accusing them of being spies. He's wanting to prove their story to be true. So from the perspective of the brothers, that's how they see him. But really what he wanted is he wanted to see Benjamin. If you are honest men, let one of your brothers be confined to your prison house, but you go and carry grain for the famine of your houses. And bring your youngest brother to me, so your words will be verified, and you shall not die. And they did so. So one interesting thing we see here as part of this test that Joseph is giving to his brothers is that before, right, they were willing to sacrifice him, right, out of their jealousy and anger toward him. Now he's asking them to sacrifice one of their own for the sake of the other, right? Like, like if, if they would be willing to sacrifice one to, to be willing to stay in prison for the sake of Benjamin, then that means they're demonstrating a real love for their brother Benjamin to protect him, right? Which is something that he didn't feel from them at the beginning, right? So here he's, he's testing them to see if they would be able to do this, they would be willing to do this. So and they, they agreed, right? They agreed that one would stay and the rest would go and fetch Benjamin. Then they said to one another, right? We are truly guilty concerning our brother for we saw the anguish of his soul when he pleaded with us and we would not hear. Therefore, this distress has come upon us, right? They recognized that, that this calamity that has happened to them now, this accusation that's happening to them now is a result of God's punishment on them for what they had done to Joseph. Like you see that they lived with guilt about this mistake, this thing that they did for years and years and years. Remember, it's been like 14 years. And, and they never were able to let go of this guilt. It tells us something about like the, the burden of sin and, and how freeing confession is. You know, as much as sometimes we feel nervous to reveal our sin, to confess our sin because we're ashamed of it, but how freeing emotionally, psychologically, mentally even physically, right? It is for us to unload this, these like awful secrets that we have and experience the true forgiveness of God when we offer repentance. 
here they have been you know holding this lie in themselves for so many years and it's been eating them alive and they see now that God is punishing them for what they did and because they never they never confessed it they never told their father what happened you know they, they and they could never undo you know it's the only other thing about these sins is that there are some sins you just can't undo you just can't take it back you know once he was sold as a slave, they, they couldn't they couldn't get him back. It was it was too late, and you could tell that they regretted this decision. They regretted what they did, and they lived with that regret and they lived with that guilt all the time, right? And so now God actually one of the beautiful things about the story is that in the story again Joseph as the Messiah figure that he is going to free them from the burden of this guilt and this sin that they have been carrying all along. This is not just a matter of Joseph deciding to forgive them, right? It's, it's of course, for Joseph, there's a big catharsis here. For Joseph, there's a big, uh, like, emotional release that he is, he's being reunited with his brothers. They are sorrowful for what they did to him. They apologize to him. They're reunited together. Like, of course, from the perspective of Joseph, there's, an, there's a very powerful, it's a very powerful time because he's going to heal, right, from, from what happened, but also his brothers, when they see that Joseph is forgiving them, having mercy on them, treating them better than they deserve, that this sin of theirs has now been exposed, and it's not something they have to live with the secret anymore, they themselves now are going to be released from this, and it's also a healing moment for them. And this is what confession is. When we come to Christ, we truly are healed, right? We don't have to carry our burden, the burden of sin in, in, in us any longer. And Reuben answered them, saying, Did I not speak to you, saying, Do not sin against the boy? And you would not listen. Therefore, behold, his blood is now required of us. Okay, Reuben is the one who did what before, if you remember? He did what? He didn't try to get Jacob, but he tried to do what? Right, he was trying to save him. So first of all, Reuben was the one who suggested that instead of killing him, because the brothers originally wanted to kill him, right, instead of killing him, that they were going to throw him in the well. That was the first thing. But the reason he said that was because he was hoping that he could sneak there while the brothers were not aware and rescue him from there and take him back to this bog, right? So Reuben was not, was not wanting this to happen, but at the same time, he was not like, courageous enough to just stand up to their brothers and say, no, this, I'm not going to do this. I can't participate in this. This is wrong, right? Instead, he tried to do it kind of in a more sneaky way, which is still better than nothing, right? But here he is, you know, you can see that he had this, this feeling inside of him, and now he's saying, all this is happening because you didn't listen to me. But they did not know that Joseph understood them, for he spoke to them through an interpreter. So they were speaking Hebrew, right? The, the Egyptians don't speak that language, right? Um, and so, and Joseph pretended like he didn't understand them because he spoke with an interpreter, uh, but he actually understood everything that, that they were saying. And of course, that was very powerful for him to hear. And he turned himself away from them and wept. Then he returned to them again and talked with them. And he took Simeon from them and bound him before their eyes, right? It, it, it's, it's for him to hear his brothers regretting what they had done and feeling guilt about what they had done. You know, Joseph lived for such a long time without seeing his family. And, and his last memory that he had of his family was them wanting to, to kill him, right? And to sell him as a slave. 
So there was definitely this, this idea here that now he feels like his family really does care about him and they feel sorry for what they had done. Cool. So he's going to take Simeon, right? Joseph is the one who chooses Simeon. And he is the one who is going to keep him. He's, he's going to be the one who, who stays as a prisoner here with Joseph. Why did he choose Simeon? What do you think? So who was the one that suggested killing Joseph to begin with? Simeon, right? It was actually Simeon's idea to kill Joseph uh, when he saw when he saw uh, like like when he they saw Joseph coming. Remember they were out in the field, and then Jacob sent Joseph to them to see how they were doing. And when they saw him coming, it was Simeon's idea to say, "Now we have an opportunity to kill him." Right? Um, one other thing about this. Sorry, go back. One other thing about this is that even though uh, Joseph was a very holy man, very righteous man, right? And, and, and it says about him that everything he did, God made it to prosper, right? And we read about him, all of these stories of how faithful he was, both in his personal purity, in his forgiveness, how, how, how talented he was, how successful he was, how God had given him many gifts, right? And yet, even he experienced these emotions just like any normal person. You know, a person who is righteous and holy is not exempted from feeling sorrow and sadness and fear and, you know, all these other things. These are normal emotions that we experience. But in these things, he trusted God in everything, right? These things did not conquer him. Even though he felt lonely, his loneliness did not conquer him. Even though he felt worried, his worry did not conquer him. Even though he felt sadness from being rejected, by his family, that did not conquer him and cause him to break down and collapse because God was at his center and everything that he did. So it's not wrong for a spiritual person to experience negative emotions, right? But ultimately, our trust remains in God to help us to recover from them and to continue to grow despite them. <clears throat> then Joseph gave a command to fill their sacks with grain, to restore every man's money to his sack, and to give them provisions for the journey, thus he did for them. So what is he doing here? But what, what, what is this? So he was, so they came to buy food, right? So obviously they would give him the money and they would take the food. But somehow, right, well, he he decided he told the people to, to, to restore the money again in the sack. So so they're gonna discover this later on and they're gonna be confused because they should have this money should not be here, money should have been given to the Egyptians as the price of the food they bought. So they loaded their donkeys with the grain and departed from there. But as one of them opened his sack to give his donkey feed at the encampment, he saw his money. And there it was in the mouth of the sack. So he said to his brothers, my money has been restored and there it is in my sack. Then their hearts failed them and they were afraid saying to one another, what is this that God has done to us? Why are they worried? Very, very good, they, right? So, so they know that they didn't intend to take this money, but they could very well be accused of stealing it, right? Because they have it all. I mean, they still have to go back to Egypt again, right? Because they're supposed to bring Benjamin, take him back to Egypt, get Simeon, their brother, right? And, 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 and return again to their father. Like, they still have all this that they have to do. And so the fact that they have this money now makes things complicated, right? Because they could be accused of stealing. 
<clears throat> Again, they, they attribute this event to God. What is this that God has done to us? Like, like it's like there's a curse on them, right? Like everything that they're doing, it's, it's, it's not going smoothly. And it's not, it's not happening like they expect it to happen. And, and it's very worrisome for them. Then they went to Jacob, their father, in the land of Canaan, and told him all that have happened to them, saying, The man who is lord of the land spoke roughly to us and took us for spies of the country. But we said to him, We are honest men. We are not spies. We are twelve brothers, sons of our father. One is no more, and the youngest is with our father this day in the land of Canaan. So they're recounting to Jacob what happened. Then the man, the Lord of the country, said to us, By this I will know that you are honest men. Leave one of your brothers here with me. Take food for the famine of your households and be gone. And bring your youngest brother to me, so I shall know that you are not spies, but that you are honest men. And I will grant you, I will grant your brother to you, and you may trade in the land. Then it happened, as they emptied their sacks, that surprisingly each man's bundle of money was in his sack. So at the time, they had only noticed that it was one person who discovered the money. But they realized that every single person now had his money. And when they and their father saw the bundles of money, they were afraid. And Jacob, their father, said to them, you have bereaved me. Joseph is no more. Simeon is no more. And you want to take Benjamin. All these things are against me. Right? So Benjamin, or... Uh, Jacob, right, now his second son, Simeon, has been taken, right, he's now a prisoner in Egypt, and now they want to take Benjamin also, and Jacob is, doesn't want this to happen, like, like, he's worried, if he allows Benjamin to go, then, you know, things are going to keep going wrong, and everything is not going as they expected or planned. Then Reuben spoke to his father, saying, kill my two sons, if I do not bring him back to you. Put him in my hands, and I will bring him back to you. I mean, this seems like a very extreme type of vow, right? Um, he's, he's saying it to, to me, what? Like, I am so intent on bringing Simeon back that I will do absolutely anything. I will even offer my own life in exchange for his life. Like, like, like he's, 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 he's doing like the ultimate type of vow for his father. I will do anything to bring him back. Just trust me and I will bring him back to you. But he said, my son shall not go down with you for his brother is dead and he is left alone. He's speaking about Benjamin. If any calamity should befall him along the way in which you go, then you would bring down my gray hair with sorrow to the grave, right? So Jacob at the beginning, He's not allowing Benjamin to go. And he's just going to accept that Simeon is going to remain prisoner, right? That's how he's, he's so afraid of, of anything happening to Benjamin. And he doesn't know what's going to happen if they try to go back to Egypt again. The problem is, is that they still need more food. So that's the end of 42. Any questions about 42 before we move on? Now the famine was severe in the land, and it came to pass when they had eaten up the grain which they had brought from Egypt, that their father said to them, go back, buy us a little food, right? So, so some time now had passed, right? They had finished all the food that they had gotten from Egypt, and now Jacob is saying, we need more. Go buy, go buy us some more food. But Judah spoke to him, saying, the man solemnly warned us saying, you shall not see my face unless your brother is with you. 
If you send our brother with us, we will go down and buy you food. But if you will not send him, we will not go down. For the man said, you shall not see my face unless your brother is with you. So remember, him asking for Benjamin was part of this test, right? And so he's not going to allow them to trade. He's not going to allow them to buy food unless Benjamin goes as well. And Israel said, why do you deal so wrongfully with me as to tell the man whether you had still another brother? He's like, why did you even have to mention that there was another brother? You know, why did you even have to give him that information that now he's asking us to do this? But they said, the man asked us pointedly about ourselves and our family, saying, is your father still alive? Have you another brother? And we told him, according to these words, could we possibly have known what he would say? Bring your brother down? Like, we had no, we couldn't imagine that he would have asked us to do this. Then Judah said to Israel, his father, send the lad with me and we will arise and go that we may live and not die, both we and you and also our little ones. I myself will be surety for him. From my hand, you shall require him. If I do not bring him back to you and set him before you, then let me bear the blame forever. Okay. So again, why is it significant that Judah is the one offering this to give him his own life for Joseph? Yes, he's the one who wanted to sell him as a slave. Okay. So Judah is now <clears throat> essentially saying, you know, I'm willing to sell myself, right, to slavery. I'm willing to give myself up to slavery to save uh, Simeon, to save Benjamin, to bring food, he's willing to sacrifice himself. That's why this is significant because he was the one. And again, it demonstrates the change that's happened, right? It demonstrates the, the repentance, the genuine, like sincere regret that all of the brothers felt for what they did to Joseph uh, many years before. For if we had not lingered, Surely by now we would have returned the second time, saying if we would have left right away, we would already be back by now, right? So just let us to go. And their father Israel said to them, if it must be so, then do this. Take some of the best fruits of the land in your vessels and carry down a present for the man, a little balm and a little honey, spices and myrrh, pistachio nuts and almonds. Take double money in your hand and take back in your hand the money that was returned in the mouths of your sacks. Perhaps it was an oversight. Okay. So here um, he's saying the money that you were supposed to have paid, take it back and give it to them. And this time take double the money, like pay him double his, his fee, right? As a way to like, you know, show respect and, and assuage him from whatever anger he might be feeling toward you so that he would release Simeon and that he would keep Benjamin safe, okay? Take your brother also and arise, go back to the man. So and finally, Jacob agreed. And may God Almighty give you mercy before the man that he may release your other brother and Benjamin. If I am bereaved, I am bereaved, right? So again, Jacob had no choice at this point. They, they didn't have any food. They needed to bring food from Egypt. And so he's saying, if I'm bereaved, like if something happens, I can't control, I can't change it. You know, if I'm, if I'm saddened because something happens to Benjamin, something that's out of my control and I cannot change. 
So the men took that present and Benjamin, and they took double money in their hand and arose and went down to Egypt and stood before Joseph. When Joseph saw Benjamin with him, he said to the steward of his house, take these men to my home and slaughter an animal and make ready for these men will dine with me at noon. Right, so Joseph seeing them come, he saw that they brought Benjamin. And so Joseph was joyful that he was going to get to see uh, Benjamin, his brother. Okay? So he, he's setting up this for like this nice dinner. Then the man did as Joseph ordered and the man brought the men into Joseph's house. Now the men were afraid because they were brought into Joseph's house and they said it is because of the money which was returned in our sacks the first time that we are brought in so that he may make a case against us and seize us to take us as slaves with our donkeys. So they thinking, why is he asking us to go to his house? Um, maybe it's because he thinks that we stole the money from the first time when we came to buy the food and we found it in the mouths of our sacks. So he's going to confront us with this. When they drew near to the steward of Joseph's house, they talked with him at the door of the house and said, Oh, sir, we indeed came down the first time to buy food. But it happened when we came to the encampment that we opened our sacks and there each man's money was in the mouth of his sack, our money in full weight. So we have brought it back in our hand. So it's like before they could say anything, before any conversation, before anything was said to them at all, the first thing that came out of their mouth was an explanation of what happened with the money because they don't want to be accused of something. They want to just like be upfront and and just admit it right at the beginning so that nobody thinks that they're trying to hide something. And we have brought down other money in our hands to buy food. We do not know who put our money in our sacks. Okay, so he's explaining all this to the steward. But he said, peace be with you. Do not be afraid. Your God and the God of your father has given you treasure in your sacks. I had your money. Then he brought Simeon out to them. So the man brought the men into Joseph's house and gave them water and they washed their feet and he gave them their donkey's feet. So they were treated very well. Then they made the present ready for Joseph's coming at noon for they heard that they would eat bread there. And when Joseph came home, they brought him the present which was in their hand into the house and bowed down before him to the earth. So they're, again, they're being very respectful toward Joseph. Then he asked them about their well-being and said, is your father well, the old man of whom you spoke? Is he still alive? He wants to make sure his father is still well. And they answered, your servant, our father is in good health. He is still alive. And they bowed their heads down and prostrated themselves. Then he lifted his eyes and saw his brother Benjamin, his mother's son, and said, is this your younger brother of whom you spoke to me? And he said, God be gracious to you, my son. Now his heart yearned for his brother. So Joseph made haste and sought somewhere to weep. And he went into his chamber and wept there. So again, he's very emotional experiencing all of this, seeing his family again after such a long time. Then he washed his face and came out and he restrained himself and said, serve the bread. So they set him a place by himself and set them by themselves and the Egyptians who ate with him by themselves because the Egyptians could not eat food with the Hebrews for that is an abomination to the Egyptians. So the way they had it set up, okay, is that Joseph ate alone and the Egyptians ate alone and his brothers ate alone. 
okay? Um, because the Egyptians could not eat with the Hebrews. They felt like this was an abomination. So even with Joseph, they were not eating with him. They were eating by themselves. And they sat before him, the firstborn according to his birthright and the youngest according to his youth. And the men looked in astonishment at one another. What does that mean? Yeah. Yeah, so he, they sat in order of birth, right? The whole, all of them, <clears throat> 11 of them, they all sat in order of their birth, right? And so they were very astonished. How is it? that they knew that this is the birth order, right? For them to seat them in this way. Then he took servings to them from before him, but Benjamin's serving was five times as much as any of theirs. So they drank and were merry with him. Okay. Chapter 44. And he commanded the steward of his house, saying, fill the men's sacks with food as much as they can carry and put each man's money in the mouth of his sack. Okay, so like last time. Also put my cup, the silver cup, in the mouth of the sack of the youngest and his grain money. So he did according to the word that Joseph had spoken. Okay, why is he doing this? Yeah, right. It's a test. So, so essentially, he's going to accuse Benjamin of being a thief for stealing the cup, and then he's going to see if his older brothers are willing to defend him and and sacrifice themselves for him or not, because that's going to tell him whether like they've changed or whether they are just selfish like they were at the beginning. Perhaps, you know, perhaps we don't know what he would have done. <clears throat> as soon as the morning dawned, the men were sent away, they and their donkeys. When they had gone out of the city and were not yet far off, Joseph said to his steward, get up, follow the men, and when you overtake them, say to them, why have you repaid evil for good? Is not this the one uh, from which my Lord drinks and with which he indeed practices divination? You have done evil in so doing, right? So he's going to tell Joseph, so go accuse them of stealing. So he overtook them and he spoke to them these same words. And they said to him, why does my Lord say these words? Far be it from us that your servants should do such a thing. So obviously, like none of them ever believed that something like that would happen or that any of them would steal anything, right? Um, that, that, would be, that would be suicide for them to do that. Look, we brought back to you from the land of Canaan, the money which we found in the mouths of our sacks. How could we steal silver or gold from your Lord's house? Like saying, we were honest. Even the money that somehow ended up in our sacks, we didn't keep it, but we returned it again, right, to you. How is it that we could steal from you? With whomever of your servants it is found, let him die, and we also will be my Lord's slave. So he's saying, I'm so confident that none of us took this, that if you find it, then you can kill the person who you find it with, and the rest of us agree to be slaves to you, 
right? Does this remind you of another, another incident that happened similar to this that we looked at before? It happened with Jacob also. Yeah, yeah, Rachel, when Jacob and his family were leaving Laban, right, when they were leaving and going back to Canaan, Rachel, his wife, had stolen the, the household idol of her, of her father. And uh, Jacob didn't know this, okay? So when Laban came, so when, when, um, when Laban came to try to find them, uh, he said, he, 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 Jacob, not knowing that Rachel had stolen them, he said, if you, you know, like go and search, you know, if you, if you find it with anyone that they'll be put to death. I think if they said be put to death, I can't remember, but it's the same concept, right? Like he, he believed that he believed that there was no way that anyone would do such a thing. Right. She stole them because, um, they were like her household idols. She was angry at her father for mistreating them. So she took them when she was leaving. Um, Someone is asking about the cup of divination uh, from uh, uh, Joseph. So, you know, the, the Egyptians, they, they believed that he was like a magician in some sense, right? Like he could interpret dreams, he could do all these kinds of things. So, um, you know, he, 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 it doesn't mean that he was actually using this cup for divination, right? Which is like, you know, like essentially fortune telling, right? He wasn't, but he was accusing them of doing that, right? Because he was trying to keep up the ruse, okay? Like you have stolen the special cup of Joseph that he uses, you know, to for the fortune tell. Because why is that important? Because you know, supposedly, in the eyes of maybe a lot of the Egyptians, how is it that he was able to interpret the dream? How is it that he knows the future? Was well, because he is like a magician, right? He's a diviner. Well, he's not actually doing that, right? He's just the Egyptians are pagans, right? So they're going to interpret what he's doing, not necessarily as what's actually happening. So, so Joseph is like putting up, he's still in the role of this man who lives in Egypt. His brothers don't know anything about him. They don't know his background, where he is. This is a common Egyptian practice. So he is, you know, he's, he's saying that this is what's being done for him to say essentially that this is a very important chalice, that this is being used as part of like this whole process of, you know, telling the future, of knowing how the course of the famine, of knowing what to do and like all the stuff. So it wasn't even just any regular cup, right? It wasn't just the face value of the cup as being just a silver cup, which was expensive. No, it was like a very special cup. That's what Joseph was, was trying to say. So here the brothers are saying, there's no way any of us took this. Uh, if you find it with any of us, then kill them. We will be your slaves, right? It, it also kind of says something about like, we should never make assumptions, right? Like um, um, even if we believe that some accusation against us is false, it's probably good to verify first uh, before, before saying such a thing. <clears throat> And he said, now also, let it be according to your words. He with whom it is found shall be my slave and you shall be blameless. So he's saying, no, uh, I'm not going to punish everyone. 
right? I'm only going to punish the person who stole it, right? Uh, the rest of you are blameless. We're not going to punish someone who didn't do anything wrong. Whichever one of you stole it, that's the one who will be punished and he will be put to death. Then each man speedily let down his sack to the ground and each opened his sack. So he searched. He began with the oldest and left off with the youngest. And the cup was found in Benjamin's sack. You can imagine the horror that they experienced in this moment. Then they tore their clothes, and each man loaded his donkey and returned to the city. I mean, they, they're all extremely afraid now. They're tearing their clothes. They feel like they are cursed. They feel like all this is coming upon them because of the sin they did with Joseph. There's too many things that are going wrong, and now God is repaying them for all that they did, right? And, and, and what's, what's more is that Benjamin was the only brother who had no part to play at all with um, Joseph, with Joseph being sold into slavery, right? He was the youngest. He had, he had nothing to do with this at all. So Judah and his brothers, remember Judah is the one who made an oath to his father to say, you know, if, if you know, I, I will offer myself as a slave to him to protect Benjamin if it comes to it, right? So Judah and his brothers came to Joseph's house and he was still there, and they fell before him on the ground. And Joseph said to them, what deed is this you have done? Did you not know that such a man as I can certainly practice divination? Meaning, essentially, I know when people steal from me, because I'm like, I can tell the future, right? Like, I know, I know everything. Like, I have a sense of everything, right? Of course, this isn't true, right? But he is, he's, he's, he's playing this role, right, to scare them. Then Judah said, what shall we say to my Lord? What shall we speak? Or how shall we clear ourselves? God has found out the iniquity of your servants. <clears throat> Here we are, my Lord's slaves, both we and he also with whom the cup was found. Right? Uh, they're saying we're offering us ourselves as slaves. How can we clear ourselves? Like, what can we say to convince you that this isn't something that we did? But we're offering ourselves freely and voluntarily, uh, voluntarily as slaves. But he said, far be it from me that I should do so. The man in whose hand the cup was found, he shall be my slave. And as for you, go up in peace to your father. Okay, so this is really now like where the test is happening, right? Because he is saying all the blame actually belongs to Benjamin. All the blame is on Benjamin. Benjamin, I will keep him and all the rest of you will return. Now, we already know Jacob was so worried and afraid that anything would happen to Benjamin, and he didn't even want them to go, even to the point of starvation, right? He didn't want them to go, but, but that's, how, that's, how, that's how much he cared for Benjamin, and that's how much he, he was so reluctant to let them go. And now the exact thing that they feared the most is happening, right? That Benjamin is now being accused of something that would require him to stay, and not just that, but the rest of you can go. Like, how is it that these brothers are going to go back to their father again and face him and tell him that Benjamin was taken as a slave or he's killed or something's happened to him, but yet we all return, right? They, they couldn't. And essentially, this is the same thing that they would have done with Joseph, right? Because they're the ones that had to go to their father, Joseph, and tell him that Joseph had been killed. And they showed him, like, the tunic of many colors, and they showed blood on him. They said, look, he must have been mauled by an animal. They went and they're the ones who told him that. Of course, it was a lie. Here, they would be telling him again that your youngest son has been taken from you. 
Then Judah came near to him and said, O oh my Lord, please let your servant speak a word in my Lord's hearing, and do not let your anger burn against your servant, for you are even like Pharaoh. My Lord asked his servants, saying, Have you a father or a brother? And we said to my Lord, We have a father, an old man, and a child of his old age who is young. His brother is dead, and he alone is left of his mother's children, and his father loves him. So he's going to tell now, I mean, he already previously had, had shared part of like their family history, and he told him that our father is old, and, and he has, uh, he had two children, right, in his old age. One was Joseph, right, and one was Benjamin, okay, and he alone, Benjamin, is left of his mother's children, the only remaining son of Rachel, his wife, and his father loves him. Then you said to your servants, bring him down to me, that I may set my eyes on him. And we said to my Lord, the lad cannot leave his father, for if he should leave his father, his father would die. This is what they said before, right? When, he, when we first asked for Benjamin to come, they said, we can't bring Benjamin because his father is so attached to him. And there's no way that our father would live if Benjamin was taken and if anything happened to him. But you said to your servants, unless your youngest brother comes down with you, you shall see my face no more. You're the one who told us that we need to bring him. So it was when we went up to your servant, my father, that we told him the words of my Lord. And our father said, go back and buy us a little food. But we said we cannot go down. For if our younger, youngest brother is with us, then we will go down. For we may not see the man's face unless our youngest brother is with us. She's saying we had to convince our father to allow this young son of his to come with us because he was not willing to allow him to come and accept that we convinced him because you required it of us. Then your servant, my father, said to us, you know that my wife bore me two sons and the one uh, went out from me and I said, surely he is torn to pieces and I have not seen him since. This is Joseph. But if you take this one also from me and calamity befalls him, you shall bring down my gray hair with sorrow to the grave. Right? Jacob is saying this. Now, therefore, when I come to your servant, my father, and the lad is not with us, since his life is bound up in the lad's life, it will happen when he sees that the lad is not with us that he will die. So your servants will bring down the gray hair of your servant, our father, with sorrow to the grave. If we can return, Benjamin is not with us, our father will die, okay? because he will not be able to live knowing that Benjamin was not here. For your servant became surety for the lad to my father, saying, if I do not bring him back to you, then I shall bear the blame before my father forever. Now, therefore, please let your servant remain instead of the lad as a slave to my Lord and let the lad go up with his brothers. And this is, this is really what Joseph was waiting for. Right, is to hear this, to hear that um, Judah, which is he's the one again who um, offered to or, or wanted to um, kill uh, uh, Joseph, right? He's hearing now that Judah is the one who is offering himself instead of Benjamin, that he is doing this act of sacrifice himself and acting selflessly to protect his younger brother. For how shall I go up to my father if the lad is not with me, lest perhaps I see the evil that will come upon my father, right? So he explains them all these reasons why 
he can't go back this way and he would be willing to live as a slave instead of Benjamin just to keep his father safe from, from, from experiencing this. So um, this is the end of this chapter. We know that in the coming chapter, um, Joseph becomes uh, very uh, emotional uh, and he essentially re he reveals himself of who he is and they all like have you know a family reunion again and um, because of what's happened. Um, so this is one of the, maybe one of the clearest um, scripture in the Bible that shows over a long period of time how a person who made a very bad choice at one time of their life that they cannot change and that lived with guilt and sorrow for it for a long time and that at some point they were, um, you know, they, they suffered a lot for it. They suffered because of what they did. But it was through that suffering that they were able to be redeemed. It was through that suffering that they learned repentance. And so oftentimes when we maybe make poor choices in our life and we see the bad consequences of those choices that we made, and maybe we interpret the, these bad consequences as being punishment. Like God is punishing me because I did something and God is angry and upset with me. And that's why God is allowing this and this. This is how actually the brothers of Joseph interpreted everything that was happening, right? They kept saying, this is, this is a punishment from God. God is doing this to us because of what we did to Joseph, right? And yet the same thing that they believed that God was using as a punishment, as an attack on them, as, as almost like an act of vengeance on them, God was actually using, using it as an act of redemption, right? Because yes, it was painful, and yes, they suffered through it, and yes, it was very fearful for them, right, as they were going through this, but what was the outcome? The outcome was restoration. Like I said, they don't have to carry this burden of guilt with them anymore. They have been forgiven by Joseph. Joseph is actually alive, right? That even the thing that they thought that they had done to him did not happen. And so the, the outcome of this 14 years, right, from the moment that they threw Joseph into the well and they sold him as a slave until this point, if you look at the status of everybody at the beginning and you look at the status of everybody now, everybody is better off. Everybody's better off. Joseph is better off because he became second in, in charge of Egypt. Uh, you know, he became, uh, he was used by God to save the world from the famine, right? He was given so many benefits and that those benefits actually would benefit the people of God. Because again, the, the salvation that comes here is not just the salvation of keeping Jacob and his family fed, because if Joseph had never attained such a position in Egypt, then Joseph, Jacob and his family would remain living as a small tribe in, in Canaan and not be it. But now he's going to allow Jacob and his family to move to Egypt, to live there in a special place in Egypt that's made for them. And that's when they're going to begin to grow and multiply and multiply and multiply until they become enough to be an entire nation. 400 years after this, even though, yes, at the time there are slaves, but God is preparing them to be a mighty nation to come out of Egypt and to enter into the promised land where the first time they actually have a permanent residence, okay? If, if Joseph hadn't attained this position, he wouldn't have been able to do that for them, okay? So, so from the perspective of Joseph, definitely his life was transformed and changed for the better. From the perspective of the brothers, they went through a bitter time of suffering and regret and certainly everything happened here, a lot of fear, but God turned this again for something good. And actually one of the most famous verses in the Bible, which I think is in the next chapter we're gonna study, 
where Joseph tells his brothers, you intended evil for me, but God intended it for good. You know, like, like even the things that we intend for evil, even the wrong intentions, even the mistakes, the sins, the, the things that we do against one another, even though we might have a bad intention, God is able to take those things and actually transform them and turn them into good, turn them into good, not only for me as the one committing the sin, but good also for the one who is on the receiving end of whatever it is that I've done. But we only benefit, and Joseph only benefited from this because he remained faithful to God throughout. There could have been a number of times when Joseph gave up in this whole process, right? Like he could have completely lost heart when he was in Potiphar's house. He could have just like been depressed and not want to do anything. He could have tried to run away. He could have fallen into sin with Potiphar's wife as she was making advances with him. He could have, you know, fallen out of favor in so many ways. When he went to the prison, again, like he, why, why would he even want to help the baker? Why would he even want to help the, the cupbearer, the butler? Why? Like, why is he helping them? You know, if, if, if he is um, very kind of a selfish uh, and uh, kind of like jaded, depressed, sad person who's just angry, doesn't want to help anyone, doesn't want to give himself to anyone, who wouldn't even maybe wanted to try to interpret their dreams. And the, the baker and the butler wouldn't even have really known him or had a good relationship with him to eventually remember, right? When, when the butler remembers, right? Joseph in prison, when Pharaoh has his dream, like there are so many opportunities that Joseph could have messed up this process, but because he was faithful and righteous all throughout this, he, he made it all the way to the end of this process. And we see him even now forgiving his brothers. Imagine if Joseph didn't forgive his brothers, right? Like what would have happened? He could have, he could have killed them. You know, he could have just said, you know, um, you know, you're here now. I have you in my hand. I'm going to kill you. I'm going to throw you in prison, uh, whatever. Or I'm going to send you back. I'm not going to give you any food or here's some food, but I'm not going to allow you to live in Egypt. Like, Whatever anger he had, he could have taken it out in all kinds of ways on his brothers. And again, short-circuited the plan that God had for him from the beginning, which was that he would become not just the savior in terms of the food and the famine, but he would provide a place of shelter for the Israelites to come and live and to grow and become a mighty nation. God did this through a lot of painful experiences. Right? He did it through the pain of Joseph. He did it through the pain of his brothers, using the mistakes of his brothers. But he did it nonetheless, and it took a long time. So sometimes we don't see the plan. We don't know the plan. We don't know the outcome of the plan. We can't, we can't answer the question, why? Why is this happening? Um, why is God allowing something to happen? Why is, are these people treating me a certain way? Why? You know, all kinds of questions. But the point is, is that Joseph didn't need to know. His brothers didn't need to know. Jacob didn't need to know the answer to that question all throughout. It was just, just believe, just trust, just have faith every day. Just have faith. Just live according to your faith every day. And that somehow in the end, God makes it all to work, right? So sometimes we become so fixated and obsessed of wanting to find the answer to that question, why? And maybe there we won't understand that answer, you know, like, if Joseph asked that question of God, why, when he was living in Potiphar's house, what answer would God give to explain it to him? You know, like it was, he, he couldn't comprehend such an answer, right? Everything led up gradually and slowly up until the point where it became a reality. And once it became a reality, then it all kind of made sense. Everything fit together again. Even after Joseph, 
you know, had become second in Egypt, he wasn't expecting to see his brothers. He still didn't understand the full plan of what God had, had prepared until actually his brothers came. And until now, like, like he's providing a place for them to live. And, and he saw how much God used him in order to uh, protect his own family, even though they had mistreated him. Someone is saying, in these times, it feels like the world is ending. How can one have faith in such circumstances, faith that there might be change in the future? So when we speak about having faith in the future, right, what does that look like? You know, like, like what, is it, what is it that we're having faith in? Are we having faith in a specific outcome? Like, are we having faith that one day Christianity will, will flourish in the world and that everyone would have love for one another and we would all be united in harmony? Is that what we have faith in? And that if that doesn't happen, then we're going to say, well, no, God didn't hold up his end of the promise, right? Do we have faith in any specific outcome? Actually, what, what, did, what did Joseph have faith in, right? Did he have faith that he would become second in Egypt? Did he have faith that he was going to be reunited with his brothers again? Did he have faith in anything specific? No, there was, there was nothing in his mind that he told himself, okay, God is going to promise to do X, Y, Z. And that if that doesn't happen, he's going to be disappointed. That wasn't how he was living. He was living one day at a time. He says, how can I be faithful to God today? How can I remain righteous today? Right? And so each day in his life, that was his goal. That was his challenge. That's what we are called for. Every day, I'm going to live the right way. What direction does that take me? I have no idea. I have no, I have no idea. It's like you're driving in a fog right? And you don't know what direction you're going. And eventually you're going to pop out of the fog. Where am I? I don't know where it took me, but I know that I have to keep driving. Every day I have to keep driving. There is a path that I'm on, even though I don't know what that path is. So from the perspective of, you know, when you look at the world is, you know, as he says here, the world is ending. I mean, I don't know, we can say that the world is ending, but we can say that there's a lot of trouble in the world. And we can say there's more and more apostasy and there's more and more atheism and there's more and more hatred and there's more and more corruption in the world for sure um what is the end game of that what is what is that going to look like i don't know is it possible that god is going to come and there'll be some kind of a revival yes is it possible that it is going to be the end of the world and that the the true promises of god that will be fulfilled are going to be fulfilled in heaven and not on earth yes but regardless of whether they are um fulfilled on earth or fulfilled in heaven god will fulfill right and that's what we place our faith in the promises that god makes not in the promises he does not make right we sometimes invent promises and we believe things we want to we say if god is merciful and loving that means he must do this this thing that i want right but that's not the case right god promises what's even better like when he says i has not seen nor ear heard, nor has entered into the heart of man the things which God has prepared for those who love him, right? So what is it that God has prepared? It's beyond comprehension, beyond imagination, beyond my desire, like beyond my ability to even ask for it. That's what God has prepared. So even if there isn't a specific outcome that I'm looking forward to, that I desire in this life that I will have, because I don't know whether God's going to do that or not, the ultimate fulfillment 
of promise. The ultimate fulfillment, fulfillment is beyond comprehension for me. And that's what we should take from this story, right? What happened with Joseph could not have been predicted. Like when Joseph was a boy, you know, running around happy because he has this colorful tunic, you know, could he have imagined what the outcome of this was going to be? Could Jacob have imagined that his son was going to be responsible for allowing his people to live in, the, in Egypt and, and, and be given everything that they need to flourish and become millions of people? Like that's, they were 70 people, 70 people when they entered Egypt and they came out millions of people. Right. How is that? How is that? Like, how do you comprehend that? How could you have predicted that? How would you expect that? You know, and certainly there was no indication from the beginning that that's what was going to happen. So our faith should not be in a specific outcome. And our faith and we shouldn't our faith shouldn't falter because we don't see it happening now. Right. Because ultimately the true promises of God are fulfilled, not here, but in heaven, because in the end, Joseph died. Jacob died, all of his brothers died, their whole generation died, right? The generation of Moses, they died. The generation of King David, they died. The generation of all the prophets, they died. The generation of all the apostles, they died. In the end, no matter what promises God fulfills in our life, we only you know, enjoy them for a short time, very short time, right? Even if God gives me absolutely everything that I want, how long will I have it? How long will I be able to keep it, right? When you read the book of Ecclesiastes, you know, it makes it so clear. Life, life is just like a mist. It's just like here one day and gone the next day. So even if God gives me the absolute desires of my heart and everything, there's still inside me a fear of loss, right? That, that I will not get to keep this forever. So if my, if my true faith and trust is not in eternity, then no matter what God gives me, I will never be satisfied with it because I will always feel that it's temporary. That no, like I, I'm holding on to something and I know for sure that that thing is gonna be taken away from me one day, but the thing that God promises in heaven cannot be taken away. And glory be to God forever, amen. Okay, let's pray. In the name of the Father, and the Son, and the Holy Spirit, one God, amen. We thank you, Lord, for this day. We ask for your guidance, for your blessing, for your mercy. We ask, of oh God, that you keep us hopeful and faithful to you, not because of any particular outcome or any desire, oh Lord, that we want in this life, but that we trust that you are guiding us to an eternity with you, an eternity of joy and comfort and peace. Teach us your ways, O oh God, and keep us away from the distractions of this world, from corruption, from sin, from wickedness, from darkness. Keep us away, O oh Lord, from all that takes us away from you and restore in us the joy of our salvation, and so within us a peace that surpasses all understanding. For the prayers of St. Mary, Archangel Michael, St. Paul, St. Mark, and all your saints, hear us as we pray thankfully, our Father who art in heaven, hallowed be thy name, thy kingdom come, thy will be done on earth as it is in heaven, and give us this day our daily bread, forgive us our trespasses as we forgive those who trespass against us, and lead us not to temptation, and deliver us from the evil one. In Christ Jesus, our Lord, is the kingdom, the power, and the glory forever and ever. Amen. The love of God, the Father, the grace of the only begotten Son, our Lord God and Savior, Jesus Christ, in the communion, the gift of the Holy Spirit, be with you all. Go in peace. The peace of the Lord be with you all. Amen.